So what, what do you what are you gonna say? Start over. Let's do it again. Okay. <laughs> I'm Andrew Junker with Roman Honeycutt. Hi. And this is why we do this. Episode 14 of Why We Do This. Uh, we have a fantastic summer episode for you. <laughs> um, Full of sunshine. And umbrellas and beach balls. Um, <laughs> we are going down the camera route uh, for this episode. We have Phil Bowen, who is a longtime AC, uh, also a uh he was a teacher for a while of cinematography. He's an instructor at uh, the Academy of Art here in San Francisco. Uh, and so not only have we had the pleasure of working with him on several shoots, uh, we continue to work with uh, you know, people who have been his students yeah. over the years, yeah. um, which is cool. And, so, and the fun of that is also whenever we you know, have gotten Phil on set, uh, you know, other people that we work with get excited when they find out that they're working with him too. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's a this is a great episode. Um, just Phil's natural enthusiasm for uh, for the work, for cameras, for life, for technology, <laughs> for you know the the state of film. Um, I think really shines through in this uh, episode. And you know we kick right off into it into how he found his way into this profession. Um, he's someone who specifically uh, you know chose to be an AC, loves being an AC. Uh, but how he found his way into that is uh, a very just bizarre kind of roundabout journey uh, that landed him into that uh, position and, and profession. So here we go. A lot of us just kind of fell into it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, how did you get into the film business? You know, like you always kind of just, you fall into it. Like, how did you fall into this? Well... My, I used to work in Sausalito for my brother-in-law, and he had a company that imported, like, kiwi fruit. He worked for the New Zealand Trade Council. <laughs> and so our offices were upstairs, and this guy named Keith Mason. I don't know if you know Keith Mason. Yeah. He used to own a company called Mason Studios, hmm. and that, that's now DTC. Oh, And so okay. Small Little World, DTC bought Mason out. So Mason had a little shop in Sausalito. So my office where I was working was upstairs, so I'd be talking to New Zealand on the phone. And also, like the Rolling Stones that come through the floor, because Mason crank up the music down. He had a little sound, had a little nice. stage, you yeah. know. He had some lights, and he was a gaffer in town. So I go down there and bitch at him. I go, "Hey, Keith, you know, I'm trying to, you know, turn on the music. Oh, I have a beer. Why do you work for that guy?" I go, <laughs> so I was a pretty good water polo player, and I got a call one day to go to Tasmania and play water polo for seven months. Okay. And I played before in Australia professionally. I played in Queensland. So all of a sudden I go, ooh, Tasmania, seven months. So I said, screw this, working. So I went to Australia for seven months, played water polo, came back, and I didn't have work. So, you know, because all of a sudden I come back to town. My brother was not going to hire me because I quit on him, you know. <laughs> and he married my sister, so he's still mad at me but but you know, deserting him and heading to Australia. And uh, so I started working on salmon, but and the but guy had a construction company. So mm. we fished four days a week, and we were construction three days a week. And I ran into Mason one day. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm about to build a stage over here in Sausalito. Nice. I want to hire you. So he hired me. Huh. And so we put these offices in, in, in a psych and stuff like that. And he had no cameras then. Mm. And he says, you know, why don't you stay around and work for me? And you can drive motorhomes and grip trucks. So I worked for him about six years. Then in about the year three, he started buying cameras. 
So he sent me down a place called Claremont Camera down in Hollywood yeah. to learn how to fix the cameras. So I went down to Claremont for about six weeks and learned how to prep them, figure out you know how to how to how to service them, how to shim them in case they're out of focus, you know like the back focus on on yeah. the bodies and stuff like that. Anything major we shipped out, but I could basically prep them, set them up. So a guy like you come in and rent the camera, you know you rent Area Three and a whole camera package, and out the door they go. It's just like a rental house like Chater or Videofax. So my job was keeping the cameras working and renting them, stuff like that. Did you did you have any experience with cameras? Before? None at all. No, okay. None at all. Okay. None at all. Wow. Which is weird because my dad in World War II was a photographer. Oh, cool. <laughs> so all of a sudden, it kind of goes around, comes around. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, my dad was a photographer in World War II. He has these great pictures of kamikazes crashing the ships. and He's in the Navy. And, you know, yeah. and so I was looking at his old photographs. But So I kind of got into it a little bit more. And uh, then I started working a little bit on the side. You know, we, oh, why don't you come out on the weekend and be a camera assistant? Then I got a call, call from um, Lopi Yap. I don't know if you guys know Lopi Yap. Mm-hmm. He, he works, he's a pr- producer, production guy, you know, does movies and stuff like that he's up in napa okay he's working on a movie called hunt for october they need another camera assistant up at ilm i go okay so i went to work on hunt for october i was on it for like two and a half months and the union rep showed up a guy named uh uh, bruce doran he goes what are you doing here i go well i'm working on the movie he goes because at that time there's no more union camera assistants in town because it was very busy everybody's working or they didn't want to go work there on this movie or whatever and he goes you need to be in the union i go okay whatever and he goes here's a paperwork fill it out and send it to me so i did and i had some check for four grand and so now i was in the local 600 you know or it was 659 back then i think it's 659 going to 600 so whatever so i was in the union and so i worked at ilm off and on for years you know so like I probably worked on 20 different movies there. Yeah, but I'd never work a full movie because most movies start in L.A. and finish yeah. in L.A. So they come up here, they pick us up, and we work three weeks, two months, or whatever. Then they go back to L.A. and stuff like that. Okay. And visual effects at ILM was kind of fun because usually we blew stuff up. <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of cool, you know. Yeah. Like on Paris, Paris the Caribbean, we blew up the Endeavor. It's probably one of the biggest explosions ever. Wow. The ship was like 30 feet long. They built a lake at wow. Island on the slab and a big green screen around it. We had six 435s. And it seems like always, I'm always the closest to the explosion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I was like, in fact, uh, at Island, the big joke was, you know, will we get filled this time? Because on... Um, on Pearl Harbor, they, they, they blew up a plane that crashed into my head. What? A- episode 3, Star Wars, they set me on fire. You know, so it's kind of like, so their joke was, well, well, Phil's here, oh, great. You know, let's see, <laughs> let's see if we can get him today, you know, so whatever. Obviously, you fell into it. Like, mm-hmm. going, like, as you, as you advanced, like, did you have those mentors and teachers along the way? Or how did you kind of continue to, to learn? Watching. Get on set with LA guys, you know, like they say, LA guys are the best. They are, they have a system. So I try to copy their system, watch how they did stuff. So if you sit and watch, you see how guys do things, you kind of learn, you know. So it's kind of sad for DPs because as a camera assistant, I see how different DPs work. Yeah. Yeah. And I go, oh, that's so efficient. That's so smart. Then I get with another DP, I go, well, I can't tell him that, that I saw this, you know, because they're top of the food chain, so they don't see the other. But yeah. being being mid level in the food food yeah. area, I get to see how all these top of these guys work. I had one cameraman go, "I don't like carts." <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, "We hand carry everything." Why? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't have carts, and you know, I I finally got him on carts. Yeah. But, but it's like, oh my god, no carts. It's like. <laughs> We got hand carry. You can carry two cases at one time, right? Yeah. That's 20 trips to the truck. And every time you leave the truck, what do you got to do? You got to lock it. So you got to unlock it, and lock it, go in, pull out. That's that's 
just dumb. Thank you. That's uh, not, uh, I know. I, but uh, but no see, I see, I see every yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I go from this end to this end. Yeah. You know, I was like, you know, so you see the best and you see the worst. Wow. And when you're in the middle of a food pack, and you just kind of go, okay, I understand. The only time I ever squawk, I squawk every once in a while when I get tired or hungry, but <laughs> is when they're going to hurt me mm-hmm. or when they're going to wreck the gear. Do oh, something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Then I go, well, no. Yeah. I said no a couple times. I was on the, a, a movie. They want me to go up a 12-foot ladder with a Panavision, a 1,000-foot mag, and an 11-to-1 no. no. and put it on a hi-hat and click it in up there. <laughs> I'm going, no. And, you know, the whole thing now is as a union camera assistant, I had to go to these training classes down in L.A., and I have to, and I have to sign off on them saying I'll follow the rules. Uh. And let's say I do something stupid on a film set and I get hurt. I can't sue them, not that I'm suing, but medical might have to come out of my own pocket. Mm. You know, so all of a sudden I become liable for my own safety on a film set. That's why the producers brought this whole thing in. So to stop, you know, frivolous lawsuits and also, hey, you shouldn't have gone up that ladder. Yeah. yeah. Why'd you go up that ladder? Yeah. Well, the DP told me to. Well, you should have told him no. Yeah. How do you tell him no? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I was on a murder of the first and the DP wanted to go up a ladder. And I said, uh, I don't feel good about this. Well, he goes, I'll take it up there. I go, no, no, no. I had, I had, I had Gary Gill, great grip. And so I looked up, and there's a balcony. So now I carry a rope and a carabiner with me. Mm. Threw the rope up through there, came down. We clicked it. I put an eye hook in the top of the camera. He pulled it up so the weight was there. I went up the ladder, and so that's how I do it now. Have you, for your career, stayed as AC? Have you branched out in other? Mm-mm. And why, why is that? I like working with gear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I never want to be a DP and never want to be an operator. You know, in San Francisco, it's almost a kiss of death sometimes to try to move up the food chain. Mm-hmm. If you look in the real directory, there's 900 DPs mm-hmm. and there's like 20 camera assistants. <laughs> but, you know, everyone wants to be a DP, you know, so I like, and I never wanted that aspect. I like to go home. I don't want to have to go to dinner with the clients. I, you know, do all the smoothies mm-hmm. and stuff like that and all the pre-pro and stuff like that. I just never, th- never appealed to me. Mm-hmm. I like wearing the gear. So I kind of started out like doing underwater hydroflexes, uh, helicopter mounts, you know, so gear, power, when power pods first came out, I was always bringing the power pods and stuff like that. So I was kind of like into that aspect of it. So I kind of like working with the gear. So I'm a kind of a gear guy. Yeah, and I like pulling focus. I think it's a challenge. I've never had an impossible pull. I've had some tough pulls, but I kind of like that. Yeah, you know, I like doing that stuff. If they give me enough time, I can do it. But no, I never cool. wanted to move up the food chain. Mm-hmm. And if you move up the food chain, you really have to move to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. especially if you want to do features and stuff like that, because yeah. everything starts and ends there. And like I've had camera assistants move up from LA to work here, and I say, hey, don't change your LA number. Why is that? You'll never get work. Hmm. But if, by having an L.A. number, they can call you. You're five hours. You can go back to L.A. and go yep. to work right now. Yep. And they think you live in L.A. Once yeah. they think you live in San Francisco, they kind of take you off their list because you're in San Francisco. You're not in L.A. You're not close. Right. So if you have all these L.A. connections, keep your L.A. phone number, your 818 number yeah. or your 213. And in San Francisco, have another number or whatever or keep your whatever you're up here. But don't get a rear L.A. number. It's funny you hear from some people that it's a hindrance to be kind of put into like oh i'm a i'm a i'm an ac but i really want to be a dp mm-hmm. and you know like in our industry it's like and especially for me as a producer i mm-hmm. always just go oh that guy's a pa and, and yeah. she's a producer and mm-hmm. that's i'm just going to call them for that job I, I don't know it's just it's just cool cool to hear that you're just like 
you found the job you like and yeah. that's what you want to be and that's, that's that's all i want to be i was yeah. very happy when i got to be a first assistant i go great and i even i've even for my friends work as a second assistant you know hey a payday is a payday does that make sense <laughs> yeah and you look at the difference between a first assistant and a second assistant is like 50 dollars a day now which is not much i can go get coffee for everybody what you know not yeah. that second assistant has a big job on the set you know they, they sometimes they get over what's the term they don't realize all the stuff they do, you know? yeah. but, but they're very important on, on a film set. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't get seconds anymore. A lot of times they give us PAs, which is fine. Right. I just train that PA that day, you know, right. you know, whatever. You get, <laughs> just give me a body yeah. and I, I can get them to learn how to do a slate and stuff like yeah. that. You know, but you know, second assistants, there aren't that many in San Francisco anymore. Yeah. But yeah, like, a lot of people move up. Yeah. I think the best person to be a, a DP now would be a gaffer because hmm. of lighting, because yeah. lighting is so important. Yeah, yeah, but the problem with the, uh, the gaffer is they don't understand cameras. Mm. That's where you need a good camera system. Go, no dumbass, that doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need that camera to do that. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. yeah. cameras are getting so technical. Yep. And for me to stay up on them all the time, I'm just going, oh my god. So what I do now, anytime a new camera comes out, I download the PDF, I read on it, then I go to the prep. At least by doing the PDF, I've, I understand where the on-off button is. That's yep. a good start. Yep. Then, yep. You start, then you go into the, then you look at the menus, and I always download all the all the little things that, yeah. that, about the camera. And I also go to YouTube now mm. every right. once in a while. And it has little information. Just one little thing can save you. A lot of times you walk in and you're just going, oh, my God, what's this thing? You know, <laughs> like on Pearl Harbor, I show up in the morning. They go, there'd be a camera I never saw before. They go, oh, we'll be shooting in three hours. You'll figure it out. And walk off. I'm just going, oh, God. <laughs> you just go, and you open it up. You go, okay, what is this? The film goes in sideways. And then you start looking at it. You start figuring it out. After a while, it's like a car. I always tell kids, film cameras, video cameras are all the same, but they're different. They all have their little strange things. Like Sony cameras have different menus than their cameras. And so you just got to look at them and go, they don't want to trick you. Because they want you to use it. Yeah. Because if they get too complicated, like Aton. Aton came out of the Aton 35. Mm -hmm. It was so complicated, it never made it. Right. You know, so it's kind of like you heard about it for a little while, so it disappeared because all the camera systems hated it. Yeah. It's kind of one of those cameras you just going, why'd you do that? What were you thinking? You know, so that happened to me many times where I got cameras. I got one camera called the, uh, the Widowmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, where this? It came up from Claremont. It was a Mitchell camera. They actually put it in torpedoes. The Navy, the Navy had six made. It was long and narrow like this. It took a 200-foot daylight load, and Whoa. they had and they could shoot it out the, in a torpedo, and they could track out the torpedo track. That's why they called it the Widowmaker. Wow. But I got it one day. I was going, what the hell is this thing? You know, because <laughs> you're looking at it going, oh, my God. You know, and they start opening it up and start looking at it, and then you start figuring it out. It's, I've, I've gotten a few gray hairs on some of the stuff I've seen. Yeah. Uh, what were you shooting with, with the Widowmaker? A commercial. And basically what they wanted to do was this car pulls up where in Bakersfield, there's an old old theater in Bakersfield, like from the 50s. So they had all the people dressed up in the 50s garb. The guy and the woman pull up in like this 49 sedan, whatever. We had to mount the camera on a 2 by 12 put it on a Fisher dolly. So the camera started outside the window, goes into the window Whoa. as the woman's getting out and comes out the other side of the window. So follow them all the way through the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the car stops. The camera's like this. As it stops, the camera starts coming in, goes right through, right through the and out the other side and follows the woman into the, into the theater like that. Wow, that's yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I never see that. I taught a class at the Academy of Fart, as I call it, the Academy of Art. <laughs> <laughs> and I taught a class on how cameras worked. You know, it was a mm -hmm. junior level class. It was a three-hour lab. And it, it, there's no books. Mm -hmm. 
And basically, they came into class, and I started with Airy 435s and Airy 3s. Went from 35 to 16 to HD, so the transition. So they had to work with film, load mags, and learn all the all the film cameras. We had BLs, 435s. Uh, uh, what else God, we had? We, the only thing we didn't have was Panavision, which mm-hmm. was too bad. I always wanted to get a Panavision camera in there, you know, because it's a whole different threading system and stuff like that. Yeah. But all the kids that came out of there could load a mag. Yeah. And some awesome. people go, they don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. And last year, I worked on three film shoots. You know, so film is still there. Yeah. And now directors and stuff like that are trying to save the film industry by shooting film. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the Academy Award movies, I think, what, six days were shot on film. Mm-hmm. You know, so f- film hasn't died. And I don't understand why most production companies don't shoot 16. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. 16 is beautiful. But the whole problem of, of film is you don't see your product on the next day. Yeah. Like you as a director, producer, and stuff like that, yeah. you get your product right now. Yeah, yeah. And so you know you have it. You don't have to worry about the lab screwing up or the camera system didn't, you know, pull focus. You know, because yeah. you, you think about it, film, there's a whole day that you have to wait before you get your finished product. Mm-hmm. And so the HD world kind of like says, hey, here it is right now. And you can look at it and go, okay, we got it. And you can play it back and look at it. Even though the film cameras do have video taps, they're still not as good as what you guys get now, the resolution, you know, yeah. it's fed to you right away. The DP's lost a lot of his pizzazz. Mm. In the old days, they were kind of like a magician. Yeah. Where they'd film something, you wouldn't see it till the next day, then they go to dailies and go, oh. Our first video taps were black and white. Mm-hmm. Then we got to color taps. We go, oh, this is cool color, but it still wasn't as good as when you projected it and you looked at your dailies yeah. and go, oh, wow. You know, it was color corrected and stuff like that. So the cameras kind of lost a lot of his mm-hmm. uniqueness. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in the HD world, everything's kind of changed. And when we shot film, we would set stuff up differently. There'd be a lot more pre-production because yeah. film costs money. Yeah. And now it's kind of like bam, 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 bam. I'm on sets now and they don't even turn the camera off while yeah. they're talking. The director's yeah. talking to the camera and it's rolling. I'm just going, this is stupid because <laughs> someone's got to clean it all up in the end. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And it's how hard is it to turn the camera off? Yeah. Yep. And we don't do slates anymore, mm-hmm. you know, camera reports. And I try on shoots that I do to still do a slate because mm-hmm. I had a one job we were doing slates and thank God we are doing slates because the director goes you didn't turn the camera on I go yes I did because you missed that last take and we went to playback on the video camera which was on the HD camera and there it was the slate yeah yep. and, and so we knew we had it but some guy I don't want to wait for a slate I'm just going yeah what, what do you mean you don't want to wait for a slate how long does it go yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know and it saves the editor a lot you yeah. know and so our, our whole world's changed and me yeah. as a camera assistant it's changed and I'm still the old school where I get marks to pull focus yeah while a lot of the new guys pull focus off a monitor, mm-hmm. which is good. But, you know, I use my monitor as a reference, but I still put marks on the ground to make sure that I, I have the focus right. If you look at a monitor and try to pull focus off a monitor, you're always on the edge. Does that make sense? Yeah, Where yeah. it starts to go soft and then you adjust, you know, you're kind of guessing. It's kind of like, like a game. Yeah, yeah. And if you blow that up on a big screen, you might notice that. And if you watch a lot of movies now, you see a lot of stuff out of focus. yeah. And that could be because they're pulling focus off a monitor. Yeah. And I, have, I use colored tape. Like, my trick is, every five feet, I put green tape down. Hmm. So an actor's coming from 30 feet to five feet, there'll be 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. I'll see four green tapes. So if I get lost in my focus mark, I see green, I know he's going to be 5, 10, 15, or 20. It gives <laughs> me a reference, if that yeah. makes sense. So, Like, when we shot film, things were really thought out more. Yeah. Now it's kind of like run and gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. and now it's all texting. Like give you a job. I just did a job um, uh, a week and a half ago on top of Mount Tam. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they text me all this stuff, and I, you know, I wanted to talk to them. And I finally talked to a production manager. I go, what are we doing? Oh, we're on top of Montana. Oh, we're doing this runner. We're doing a shoe commercial. Okay. Uh, we're just going off trail a little bit. I go, fine. Okay. <laughs> I go to Video Facts and Prep. I have six lenses. I have a, a Ronin. I have a Airy Mini. I have a set of, uh, you know, sticks. I have batteries, map boxes, all that stuff. We have one PA who I never saw. We get up there, and they go, we're, we're going over there. I go, where's over there? See that hill? A mile away Come on a on. Dirt, dirt track. That's what I said. You'll like, you'll like this story. They also brought up a helicopter guy, you know, the little, the little uh, you know, the, the, the octocopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three yeah. guys from L.A. with an octocopter. So we all get up there. I go, okay. The operator they bring up from L.A., great guy. He goes, well, he had the, you know, the easy rig, yeah. and uh, so we just clipped the camera on him so he could walk with that. So I carried the tripod, and I carried the, the box of lenses. Now, if I'd known we were going to go a mile walk in, I'd have gotten a backpack that could take yeah. the lenses and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I brought some backpacks for the batteries and stuff like that. No. So I have all this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm humping. We hump all the way to the end of the – he goes, we'll start this far away and work our way back. I go, okay. So the octocopter guys have to carry all this stuff out there. So we go a mile on this little trail to the end. And he goes, you know, I think it's a little bit better back down the trail. I'm like, okay. <laughs> what do we need? All we need is a 25 and a 50 millimeter lens. Two and a half hours later, everything was back down the trail a quarter of no. a mile where we were <laughs> filming. Then at, at the end of that, he goes, no, we have to go back and get the first shot, which is all the way at the end of the trail back. <laughs> so we have to hump all the stuff back there again. You yeah. know. So what I learned was right away, the director goes, can I carry something? I go, sure. So I get in the lens case, which weighs about 60 pounds. <laughs> and it's awkward. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, you know yeah. there's six, six hole lens case. And so I gave it to So every 30 feet, you had to put it down, then switch hands, pick it up with the other hand. Yeah. But he wasn't going to say a word. And now I'm carrying the tripod and all the other stuff and, you know, batteries and, mat and all that stuff. The, the operator's carrying the, the body. But you know, still, we have all this stuff. We get to the other end. It's great. I'm sitting there. The octocopter guys had stayed right there with the little octocopter. They go to fire it up. The ranger goes, what are you doing? He goes, we're going to film with the octocopter. He goes, you can't film in a state park with a, with a remote helicopter. Yeah. And they go, huh? They go, you can't, you can't use that. And I'm looking, I'm going, why did the ranger let them walk all the way out here with it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're trying to fire, and they go, you can't use that here. You can't use this in a state park. I'm just going, oh. oh, my God. These guys had to walk all the way out of here with this thing. And then they go, okay, fine. And they go, the ranger will leave. Yeah. I'm going, oh, this would be good. Yeah. These guys think they're going to fly without the ranger around. Yeah. <laughs> and as the ranger said, I got to leave right now, they're all going, hee, 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 hee. He goes, oh, yeah, you guys come with me and your octocopter. Because oh. so he, <laughs> he knew yeah. they were going to go try to steal a shot with an octocopter yeah, yeah. at the top of Mount Tamalpais. Yeah. Uh -huh. They made him walk all the way back with all the gear. You know? oh. So now we film this last shot at that point. I go, great, okay. And, oh, I want to get one more shot halfway down the trail. We're going that way for lunch anyway. Okay, so we get halfway down the trail. We have two grips. They're carrying like, you know, C-stands and bounce boards and stuff like that. So their hands are full. He goes, you know, I don't need you guys anymore. He releases everybody. What? Oh, yeah, except for the cameraman, myself, and him and the actress. She's a runner. Yeah. And so I'm just going, wait a minute. How are we going to get all this stuff? We still got a half mile to walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so what happened was every hunter moved things. Because, oh, my God. Come back. Because you couldn't carry it. Oh, yeah. 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 I just go, oh. That's so wild. Like, I, I think some of that is also, like... Pre-production. Pre-production, yeah. and, you know, it's just, like, the thought process of, like, as the cameras get smaller or there's more, like, accessibility that you just need less and less yeah. stuff. But we need more stuff now. Exactly, yeah. Uh -huh. Like, how do you teach people that? Like, how do you get people to understand that that's... 
well, necessary. I, well, what's happening now is they're talking to me less. In the old days, we used to talk a lot. Yeah. And you used to talk to the DP about the shots, what yeah. we're doing, because I always want to make sure we had everything we need. This job, no one wanted to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was, oh, don't worry. It's like a still shoot. This is a really small crew still shoot. We're going yeah. to Montana to still shoot. That's that's what I was told. I go, okay, a little yeah. still shoot. You know. Oh, we're not going to have motorhomes. We're not going to have anything. It's just you know. I go fine. You know, they have toilets up there. We're fine. I can pee the bush. But you know what I'm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm saying sure. yeah. the way they made it sound. Then all of a sudden you get there, you go, oh my god, we need five more people. What do people take for granted about just production, the experience, this job? Yeah. I think time. I think they don't realize how long it takes to do certain things. Yeah. Like just setting up lights, walking into locations, and go, okay. And it, it wasn't scouted at that time. I mean, the light, all of a sudden the light's coming through the window. Little things that can bite you. They don't, mm -hmm. take in, they don't put into that bite me factor. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, oh, all of a sudden the camera doesn't work. You know, that happens. I, I don't think I've ever had a camera crap out on me. In all these years, I've had, you know, assistants with reds go, oh, God, it didn't work. There's no wiggle room. Mm -hmm. in production anymore they don't plan well how long it take to get there especially now if we have three or four locations you yeah. can't even do three or four locations anymore no. because traffic yeah. you know we're kind of like we're, we're traffic bound it's almost like you have to do one or two locations a day and i think either production should really start early in the morning or late in the day you know to miss traffic yeah because traffic's become a big issue when you mm -hmm. when you think most people live in san francisco marin oakland and traveling to like Silicon Valley, they have to take that into aspect. Or maybe you got to start putting the budget. You got to put them up. Yeah. You know, you know. And I would have no problem with no per diem if I just had a bed. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. 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 If we're going down to San Jose for three days, just give me a bed. You know, for two days because I don't need the first. You know, get yeah, down yeah. there. You know, the morning of, and you work, and and you go home. You know, like I say, that wiggle room. We don't have the wiggle room anymore. It's kind of we gotta get the shot. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. And then also getting off, all of a sudden, everybody chiming in. Yeah, the director and the DP, and then all the people, oh, what about this shot? Oh, what about that? Oh, let's do this left-handed. Well, we've done everything right-handed. Why do you want to do it left-handed? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, that comes into play sometimes. It's kind of like the chain of command gets a little wacky. Like mm -hmm. when PAs bring, oh, I want to kick them right in the leg. Go, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and my second assistant, they better never say something. You know, Just be quiet. And my, my rule is just be quiet on the set. Mm -hmm. yeah. And just you know see what, see what goes on. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of watch, and then you kind of learn, and then you hope they give you enough time for focus marks. Yeah. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. You know, but sometimes you don't need them. What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> oh, what a camera system does. Yeah, let's talk uh, about it. What is well, a camera yeah. system? Basically, what a camera system does in pre-production is I get the order from the DP, I get the order from the rental house, I lay it on the floor. So I put all the cases out in a half circle around me. I open them all up, and I look at the order, and I look in the cases, and I make sure it's all there. Yeah. If something's added to the order that's not on the list, then there's questions. I start getting questions right off the bat. I want to get all the questions answered the first hour. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not answered the first hour, all of a sudden, video facts or chater are scrambling to go get stuff. Yeah. They might have to come up from L.A. So I might be at the prep place till 8 o'clock at night. So I like to have everything out. I'm looking at the DP's list. I'm looking at the production list. You know, And so then I start with the tripod and I work my way up. And the tripod is probably the most important thing to touch in the beginning of the prep because that's the first thing that, like, a lot of times I've never worked with a DP before. That's the first thing he touches. So if that tripod sucks or if that head sucks, he goes, what dumbass did I hire? You know, <laughs> you know, because that's the first thing he touches. Yeah. And anytime I build a camera, I try to build it off the set and I bring it on the set built. So when he releases the brakes, it's balanced. Yeah. And he's not fighting with it. Yeah. But back to the prep. So I, I started at the bottom of working my th way through. 
And I, so I start with, then I go to the body, then I go into the menus. Hopefully they've sent me what they want set in the menus because sometimes they're hidden deep in some menus and I get the, the, the staff to come out and show me this widget, how to get to this spot yeah. in the menus, stuff like that. Then I start going through the lenses and the follow focus and the map boxes and the filters. And I'll go through each filter, I'll look at them because you can get a bad filter. And I'll also take the head and I'll put it on the hi-hat mm-hmm. because I've had a hi-hat not fit once. If you don't check everything, you know Murphy's Law is going to bite you in the butt yeah. with the thing you didn't plug in or turn on or make sure it works. Yeah. Yeah. So I go to the prep, and they hate me at Chater because I show up at 830. <laughs> <laughs> Jay's already in there, and I'm sitting at the front door going, yeah. And I, first thing I said to Jay is, like, I'm sorry, Jay, no, take your time, but I'm just here early. I, I always show up, like, you know, and video facts, I'm always there at 8, 8.30 because of traffic, you know, get yeah, across right. the Bay Bridge. So I'll get over there at 6.30 in the morning, 7, have a cup of coffee, have breakfast, and it, because we, we fight traffic here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's miserable. But I'll be the first, because I don't want to be there at 6 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, yep. you know, going, okay, you know, now I'm stressed. You know? yeah. But I just had a job a little while ago. They swapped three cameras on me. What? We started with one camera, went to another camera, went to another camera. Wow. Yeah. So I was doing the prep. All of a sudden, no, we're going to go to a different camera. Nope, we're going to go to a different camera. Nope. You know, so, but that happens. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's once in 300. Sure. Know, so. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as a camera says again, so in the pre-production part, I prep everything, talk to the DP, make sure everything works, everything's interchangeable. You know, I'm going to go handheld. Oh, now you told me, now I need hand, you know. Yeah. So now I make sure that all works as a shoulder pad, whatever, how he likes to make it work. And I just kind of go, so I talk to him, do I have a crane? Do I need long cables? Do I need a real focus? You yeah. know, just all the little stuff. Then I'll, I got production, I go, oh, we got a crane and we need a real focus. That's 300 more bucks today. Mm-hmm. We can't afford that. Okay, well, then I can't pull focus on it. Oh, no. Okay, we can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you know, you start telling them stuff and, you know, and, and, a lot of DPs will place a basic order and let you fill it in, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. You know, they, they have an idea, but they don't understand all the widgets yeah. that go to a camera sure. because they're not they're not a camera system touching it all every day. Well, I, yeah, I need a follow focus. Well, do you need a roll follow? Do you, need this? you know, do I need a whip? You know, I always get a whip, whatever. And so you just you just kind of cover yourself in the prep. Yeah. Then on the shoot day, you know, you're just the, you're in charge of the camera. You're you're the technician on that camera, and you make sure everything works right and everything's set properly. So I say a word. Every time I turn the camera on, I say fast. Focus, aperture, shutter, tachometer. That's the four things I check now before the camera gets turned on because we have buttons. Mm-hmm. Someone can actually hit a button and change it. All of a sudden, your ISO now is 100. <laughs> or now you're at 48 frames instead of 24 frames. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So those are four things I always... And a lot of times, like in the film world, especially for me, the guy would open up the iris to look through the viewfinder because the viewfinder is so bad. Yeah. They forget to put the stop back in. Yeah. So all of a sudden you shoot a take wide open. You know, it's supposed to be a five six eight. No. So I always say FAST, focus aperture shutter tachometer. Hmm. And that saves me. And then at the end of the day, I spend the time putting the stuff back. Because you hate to get the call from Chater going, Oh, we're missing this widget. No, it's in there. It's just not in the right case. <laughs> so I take a picture of all the cases on my cell phone. So at the end of the day, I'm putting everything away. I go, oh, where'd that go? I can look at my cell phone. I have eight pictures, hmm. eight cases. And I can look at it. I go, okay, that one goes in that case. So when Chater gets it back, their guys aren't hunting for it. Yeah. And I always make sure I put all the cables back because cables always get lost. Mm-hmm. But they're really not lost. They're just in the wrong pouch. Yeah. yeah. And they yeah, may, yeah, yeah. They may yeah. miss it. But to you, production, that's 150 bucks. So a lot of times it's a camera system that catches stuff in the prep, even though Chater and Video Effects are really good about going through stuff. But I get a lot of owner-operator stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. so you go in and go, oh God, look at this cable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little tape. And, oh, oh, yeah. Hope it works today. So, uh, and off you go. So, but like I say, you just got to take your time. And I take my time putting it back at the end of the day. Yeah. So it might cost production 15 minutes. But it might save them that phone call, the phone call to me, yeah, and me money. calling Chater, yep. or me driving down to Chater, go, oh, here it is underneath the body. Yeah, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. how, just for you, like, do you feel like that you you understood that just how much went into it early on, or is that just as time has gone on, you get you dial that in more and more? And more? I think you dial it in more and more. When people hire me, they don't hire me just because I'm a good camera, so they hire me for my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've had those mistakes yeah. where it's something to get prepped, right? Yep. And you get on the set, ugh, you know? Yep. And it's, that's, I call it taking the walk. You got to go take the walk until the DP, you know, is like, ugh, you know? Yep. I've, I've taken the walk once on, I flashed a roll of film, which is, I'm uh, glad I flashed a roll of film once years ago. Yeah. Because I had another DP once hire me, because you ever flash a roll of film? I go, yeah. He goes, good, I can hire you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never do it again. Yeah. You do it once in your life. Yeah. You'll never do it again. And the thing I flashed a roll of film was, I teach this guy how to load a BL uh, shoulder mag. And I, I showed show the second system how to load it. So I, showed, so I said, you flip it over, then you flip it over, and you open up on the on the unexposed side, you know, because you have to thread it and stuff like that. But as I tell me, go remember, you got to flip it over, and I flipped it over again. I opened up, and there's 400 feet of 35 millimeter film oh. looking right at me. We hadn't shot anything, which is fine, you know. When you shoot it and you ruin it, that's bad. Yeah, that's real bad. Yeah. But when you haven't shot it, and you ruined it. Oh well. Yeah. Motor test. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go tell production. You go, oh, yeah, I was running 400 feet of film. You want to charge me? No, it's fine. So now you have a dummy load for the rest of your life. Why do you teach? I don't teach anymore. Why did you? I loved it. <laughs> what happened was the school hired me to do a helicopter mount because uh, there's two guys in town who do helicopter mount, Tom Miller and myself. And so the school would rent a helicopter for the weekend and the Cine 4 kids would go fly around. We put an Airy 3 in there and they shoot 35 millimeter film that we got at Hayward. And, and so the guy that ran the department, a guy named David Faust says, why don't you teach a class? I go, on what? He goes, on cameras. The kids keep breaking them because <laughs> they don't know how to handle them. Yeah. Yeah. I go, okay. Uh, he goes, what's your day rate? I told him, he goes, okay. Why don't you set up a class? I'm going, no. He goes, come on, just try it. And I go, whatever. So I came in there and I set up the class and it was all gear oriented. No books. Hmm. The first day they showed up, they had an Airy 3 and a 435. Damn. Three weeks later, they're shooting at 150 frames a second. And their first, their first assignment in class was pouring beer at 24, 48, 97, 150 <laughs> frames a second. So I bring a case of Heineken's in there because my idea was we're shooting film. I had all the film I wanted for the school, you know, whatever we want to shoot. And if it looked good, they had something for the real. And so the school had all these little sets. They had a bar set. That's where we did it. And so eventually I got to when we got the HD cameras. I have a 435. I have a red. Then they swap them Hmm. like this. So they have two setups like this. So you can see the difference between film and HD. And I did an underwater class there. I had a Hydroflex, threw them in a pool. And off we went swimming around, you know. They could not swim. It's scary. (laughs) I've rescued three people. I pulled one girl out of the pool not breathing. Whoa. Oh, yeah. You want to have a heart attack? Yeah. Have that happen. I I was Ocean Beach lifeguard for years. Like, in college, I was an all-American water polo player and swimmer. I went to Olympic trials and water polo. So I'm pretty good. Aquatically, I'm pretty good. I pulled this girl out of the pool not breathing. Oh, Mm. my God. Wow. And I got her breathing. And I'm going, oh, I'm fired, you know. And I get a call from the mother two days later. Phil Bowen, call me. Click. Mother's a lion. Call the mother. 
The mother thanks me profusely for saving her daughter's life. Did I, all of a sudden, the mail, I get a Don Ho CD. <laughs> I, get, I get this little thing of coffee. Her name's Don Nakamura. She's in the union. Right now, I think I have 23 kids in local 600 from my classes. That's wow. awesome. Oh, that's, that's my reference to myself. I did a good job. Every set I'm on now, there's one of my former students. <laughs> you, know, like you guys know Phil Briggs. Yeah. He's my former student. Oh, I had no <laughs> fact, idea. I'm working with him Tuesday. In fact, I've been hired four times now by former students. <laughs> I go, oh, my God. It's like, you know, I see Patrick Lawler. I, I go to Facebook. I see him all over the place. But yeah. I think 23 kids now that I know of are in Local 600. You know, Mike Best. You know Mike Best? Mm-hmm. He's Academy of Farter. <laughs> but Academy of Art, excuse me. But whatever. I go, I go, I go, I go. But, you know, they're all, I see them on all, every every set I'm on now. I see former students from my classes and stuff like that, which makes me feel good. Yeah. It wasn't about the money. It was just about working with the kids, and the kids were great. You know, mm-hmm. so I, And I'd be at the school now. What happened with me was they had me set up the class, so I was always on a stage. Mm. Then a year ago, or two years ago, they moved me to a classroom with six C-stands. I go, I can't teach a class like this. And they go, oh, just try. So I tried. It was the worst class I ever had. You know? oh, yeah. They go, oh, just order lights and stuff from the issue room. I go, well, my class is 8.30 in the morning. They get to the issue room at 8. You know, things get there at 9.30. It, it, it wasn't fair. The next time they put me in the classroom, I said, why don't you just move me out the stage? They go, we can't move you. I go, well, the stage is empty. And they go, we don't move any people. I go, well, then find somebody else. Yeah. So that, that's how that all ended. And it's sad because I like the kids. I never went to a party. I never went to a, a faculty meeting. I just did my class and got out of there. You know, yeah. and it, it, for me that was great. You know, because yeah. it was all about the kids. Yeah. And like I say, I see the kids all the time now. You know, so that 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 makes me feel good. They're all working now. I feel sad because I don't have another group following me. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's teaching the classes there. So whatever, they'll be all right. But you know. I've never flunked anybody. <laughs> First day of class, I say, the worst grade you can get in my class is a C. <laughs> well, they're paying so much money to go to school. Yeah. I go, I don't want you to worry about grades. I want you to worry about is how to work with gear. Yeah. The whole idea behind this class is when you come out of my class, you're going to be very comfortable touching camera gear. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't work, you're doing something wrong. All these cameras are handmade. If you're trying to force something, you're going to break it. You'll be able to go on a film set and you're set trained. Mm-hmm. So it says, mark an actor, you're not a mark an actor. Yeah. Can you do a slate? Can you download media? Because we did that in the class. Download media. Can you do this, do that? And they were basically trained in what I do on a film set wow. after 15 weeks. And they had a great time. But, you know, that's, yeah, that's so it's awesome. fun. I love it just hearing you talk about the gear because it's like you clearly are so just like just passionate about it. Like you love yeah. talking about like lift, listing off the cameras and talking yeah. about all this well, stuff. Well, our, our, our industry is gear driven. Yeah. And I tell the kids that in class, I go, if you, if you can't use the tool, then don't show up on the set. Mm-hmm. And I also tell them, I go, if you don't know the tool, go to the rental house if you're going to be part of that camera crew and, you know, sit in on the prep. Oh, well, yeah. they don't want to pay me. doesn't matter. You, that's part of the apprentice program. Yep. Learning the gear, going there and seeing how it all goes together and seeing what's in each case. Mm-hmm. And you become more valuable, and you get hired more often if you, if you do little things like that. I popped in many a time where I'm not on the prep, mm-hmm. just because I want to know everything is. Like when big shows come to town, we have six, seven cameras. I'll go to the prep day. I don't want to look stupid. Yeah. You know, the whole thing is you don't want to look stupid on the set. You don't want to be able to say I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They go, can you do this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you don't know? They'll find somebody else. You know yeah. that does know. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like it's important to know your craft, and that's the problem with with the cards. Because they hold so much information, mm-hmm. you can shoot a lot of shit, and you can find something great in a lot of shit. Yeah, I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. In the old film world, if you shot a lot of shit, you wouldn't be working very much longer. Yeah, because you know? you're going to dailies, and they're looking at all your work. You know, yeah. now you get something to clean up your stuff before the client sees it, probably a lot. You know. Yeah. yeah. But if in the old days when you had to look at all the takes, 
And you go, ooh, ooh, you know. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a whole different world. And I can tell a difference working now coming from a guy who was a film cameraman to a guy that's always starting video. Yeah. Right off, I can pick it up right away. You know, just little things like doesn't turn off the cameras, walking with the camera still rolling. He's shooting the ground as he's that's going. Why? Because someone's got to download that. And like we were shooting 6K the other day. Yeah. It took forever to download the 6K. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's usually everybody's trying to wait to go home to like get the get the media loaded. And yeah, you got like it's like it's like an hour and a half to download a card. And what I try to do is I try to swap cards every time I can. Yeah. When they're not looking, I'll swap a card. And I never try to get uh, get halfway on a card. I like to swap it out. Mm-hmm. One, he's not waiting. Two, if there's a problem with the card, you didn't lose half your day's work. You know, and people kind of why you swapping cards? Well, you know, it only takes a second to swap cards. It's not like we're threading a camera in the old days where yeah. everybody had to wait for you to thread the camera. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And actually, it's good to break up the set. Yeah. yeah. The actor gets a break. The crew gets a break. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets a break for like a minute. And at least with film, every 11 minutes, you had to stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you reach down, get a drink of water, think about what you're doing, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And in the world of video, you can go for a long time yeah. without ever cutting the camera. Yeah. Over and over. Sometimes it's good. Yeah. You know, you get them on a roll. You don't want to stop them. Yeah. You yeah. Know? The artistry that goes with the technical challenges. It's like mm-hmm. if you have to take breaks, it's also part of the process. It's like yeah. you, you use that to to be a way to either keep the energy going or to make sure people can pace themselves mm-hmm. or you come up with like a solution to incorporate the necessary kind of production needs. You yeah. know, you need to you need to reload the camera. You need to mm-hmm. download the media. So take advantage of that moment. Like yeah. Keep things moving but make it part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's like there's some mastery that comes with that, you know, right. I think there's something to be said, uh, and this is kind of a, just a broad statement, but just remembering that you're working with people, yeah, yeah, yeah. and people get tired. Yep, and oh, yeah. It's also good Hungry. to just communicate yeah. and check in with people, and yeah, make sure everyone's on the same page and feeling mm-hmm. good, and yeah. you know, I th- I think that's just that's we we kind of lose track of that with video, what kind of the way things mm-hmm. are, where we just leave. Well, because you watch on. the clock, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's not like all of a sudden the camera system we set up, then we wait. Yeah, the grips are doing all their stuff. Electric, you know, props. Yep. Everybody's getting everything set up. We're sitting there waiting, and then they go, "Okay, this is what the sh- shot's going to be." And then we get our focus marks, and off we go. Yeah. Then the grips and everything, they can go sit down and relax. Right. You know what's funny now? Yeah. Next time you have the guys turn on the camera, look behind you, see what everybody's doing. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> They're all texting. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The whole crew is not watching. I mean, a sledgehammer could come flying right through their head. Yeah. They never see it coming. They're all texting. Yeah. Yeah. My second assistants hate me because I say, leave your leave your phone on the truck. Yeah. I leave my phone in the car. You know, if I miss a job, I miss a job. Well, I don't want to miss a job. I go, hey, I don't want to see it on the set because yeah. so they're paying you to work. You should be paying attention. Yeah. yeah. And my second assistant should be in my eye view so I can see him if I need something. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be looking for them and they're going like, yeah. Sally, I miss you. I love you. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or they're shopping or whatever they're doing. I want them paying attention to what's going on the set. Yeah. And also for a danger thing, you know, especially when you're doing yeah. certain things, mm-hmm. someone could get hurt real easily, you know. But or catching, you know, a mistake someone else might not have oh, had yeah. or, you Some, know, any, something's anything. going on. But yeah. You got to share like one more crazy production story. I went to Papua New Guinea and uh, we had a sound man with us. And so we landed at the airport in Papua New Guinea. And the first thing they said is, don't go walking off. You know, stay in the compound, you know, because Papua New Guinea is kind of a weird place. And watch your stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, he decided to make a video of us unloading the, the plane. It's like a little propeller thing. We landed this dirt thing. And at the end of the day, he's looking for his, his still camera stuff. Oh, no. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. 
He goes back to his video he's making of us. He actually filmed the guys walking off of his stuff. Didn't know they stole his still camera stuff. <laughs> That's great. What? I know. Thank you. <laughs> so then two days later, we're still at this mine, the OK Teddy mine. You know, we're just going, what was the guy thinking? He actually videotaped the guy stealing his stuff, and he didn't know it. And I was going, OK. So this is the sound man. I was going, whatever. So two days later, they say, don't go out in the bush. We're going to fly to this little village. We can't find him. We have an A-star helicopter. We have a helicopter mount in it. We're going to fly there. We're going to get out of the helicopter. We're going to shoot in the air. We're going to shoot on the ground. Can't find him. So we take off without him. So now we don't have sound for this whole part of the thing. He had gone walking out with his locals in the bush to record sound. Oh, God. We're just going, you're not supposed to do that, whatever. So now we go to this island called New Britain. This is, even gets worse. <laughs> He's a diver. So we go to this island, New Britain. It's off. It's, here's the Solomon Islands. Here's New Britain. It's part of Papua New Guinea. It's a little island. And in World War II, the Japanese could bring submarines right up to the beach because it was a coral thing. They could load the submarines right off the beach into the hill. And they have these caves cut out by the by the, uh, by the the POWs and stuff like that that Japan took over the island World War II. Very cool place. There's crash zeros in the ground. And, you know, there's a volcano erupting while we are there. So now we want to go film in the water. He goes, I'm a deep diver. I go, what does that mean? He goes, I like to dive deep. So he, I'm a diver too. I go, Why? Because we're getting gear in this little island. He goes, well, that's just how I am. I go, I'm not going to go 90 feet with you down to the bottom. I go, all the fish in the first 20 feet. We always want, you know, the coral reefs and, you know, yeah. Yeah, all the lights in the first 20 feet. I'm just going, oh, whatever. Okay. So the guy that has the dive gear, he goes, I'll dive with you. I'm going, okay, fine. I'll snorkel. You know, I'm, so the boat, we park. There's a drop off from the reef. It goes like down 200 feet, straight down. And off they go. So I jump in the water. I'm going to snorkel. I'm watching them. They have the camera. I'm watching them. They get down 80, 90 feet. I don't know what it is. All of a sudden, they're exchanging regulators. Now they're coming up, going back and forth. I said, I'm going, wow, something happened. Uh-oh. You know, because yeah. they're exchanging a regulator. Yeah. So now they're buddy breathing, coming up. You know, but they can't come up that fast because they went to 90 feet. And they finally hit the surface. He got panicked, and he sucked his tank. So as uh. the deeper you go... You breathe harder because you, 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 the air is compressed. You yeah, suck yeah. your air quicker. So you, you bottom time is like five, six minutes sometimes, you know, depending on how hard you breathe. So he runs out of air. I go, you dumb nucket. So we film around on the service. So he goes, you know, I want to go into the um, the harbor and film at night. I go, there's saltwater crocodiles. There's sharks. Who knows what's in the water at night right here? I go, there's no way I'm going to the water with you. But I'll go on the boat and watch you. <laughs> Into the water he goes. We're in the harbor. He's about 30 feet on the bottom down there. And he has a light on this little camera. And he's going around this little video camera. We see it. And all of a sudden, he has to surf screaming. Oh, God. We're going, oh, my God. You know, shark get him, crocodile. We have no idea. Yeah. Pull him in the boat. What had happened was, on the bottom were all these lionfish. You know, there's the, those, the orange yeah. fish that you buy at an aquarium? Yeah. They have spines in their back. They're very poisonous. Oh, dude. He put his hand on one, and it stung him. Oh. And there's like, not as poisonous as a cobra, but they're pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. And so he's on a surf screaming. There's no doctors on this island. I'm going, oh, you dumb bunny. You know, whatever. <laughs> so we go to the beach. The guy goes, well, what we usually do is we heat water and we stick your hand in almost boiling water to neutralize the poison. Oh, dude. So I'm watching this whole process. And what they time of day? It's it like 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. It's dark. I was like, because there's no doctor. So they yeah. stick his hand in this hot water to neutralize the poison. I'm going, oh. So the next morning, we're looking at his hand. It's all swollen. Oh, it's all man. yellow. The skin's kind of peeling back, and it's kind of like little polka dots. And the director goes, you know, we got to film this thing tonight. I go, well, you need to fly him out of here. Yeah. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, Australia's only three hours away at Townsend. I go, you need to fly him out of here to Townsend. He goes, oh, he'll be fine. <laughs> and the guy comes up to me. He goes, what do you think? I look at his hand. I go, they're going to fucking cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, oh. what? I go, look at your hand. 
I go, you need to get out of here. He goes, well, they need me to record sound. And I go, no, man, you need to get out of here. The director grabs me, drags me off, goes, Phil, you're scaring him. I go, if that was your hand, you'd be out of here in one freaking second. Yeah. He goes, oh, no, I wouldn't. I, I, we get the shot and we go, he'll be oh, fine. He can go through the night. So all that day, he goes, what do you think, Phil? I go, they're going to cut it off. <laughs> they're gonna cut it off man I go what are you still here for and the next morning we flew to Townsville they st stuck him in the hospital I never saw him again so I have oh no idea what happened gosh. then they cut off his hand but still if you saw how bad it was just imagine everything puffed well, up to, and to even think somebody could keep working after something like that oh, just, that's, yeah. that's outrageous oh yeah and we, went f we did film this fire dance where these guys put on these big wood things and they jump in the fire and they dance in the fire and they jump out and it's like probably get to a strange place but oh yeah so wow. that'd be a, a unique story <laughs> awesome Thank you so All much. Right. Well, thank you guys for letting me come in. I hope yeah. I answered anything. Yeah, no, this thank you. Fun. Yeah, thank you. Are so you much. sure? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love to. Yeah, come on, I love to talk. Come on, as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to Phil Bone for being on this episode with us. Uh, and now we are going to end with uh, our epilogue, um, changing it up slightly. This is another French press member, uh, Peter. We uh, were doing an audio check on one of these shoots, and uh, he just happened to go on a little uh, tangent about the history of the pillow. So that's what this is. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the pillow. The what? The pillow is, uh, was an invention of the... Flintstones, they found a piece of rock and they said, how about if we put this on one end of our bed and put our head on it? <laughs> and that became what now we call a pillow. Um, what did they call it back then? They call it a, a silo because I'm made of stone. <laughs> um, so anyway, their pillow fights were very, very dangerous. A lot of people sustained injuries. And then they didn't have hospitals then. So kind of like if you went to a slumber party and had a pillow fight, you could die. You could really die in those days. Most people, when their little girl said, hey, can I have a slumber party? I want to have a pillow fight. They, they you know, very, uh, I don't blame them at all for saying no. Because uh, you could be sued. They didn't have hospitals, but they did have uh, a robust legal system. They did have a very robust <laughs> legal system. So we wanted to steer clear of that. Um, Pardon me? When was the last pillow fight? The last pillow fight? The last silo fight was probably uh, the day before Jesus was born. It's, it's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, I thought I was talking to somebody that read the Bible and understood and knew everything from the Bible. So, uh, how do I get out of here? Because I'm not going to do this.